I cannot think of a better way to get to the heart of what not only this sermon this morning, but this sermon series that we are in the middle of, I, I can't think of a better way to get to the heart of it than to quote these words from an important book that attempts to explain, from a Christian perspective, how we got to where we are as a culture. In the foreword to this book, we find these words. It says, in his 1983 Templeton Prize address, Alexander Solzhenitsyn offered this summary explanation of the horrors of Soviet communism uh, that came, or why these horrors of Soviet communism came to pass. He said, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. This answer, the author of this foreword goes on to say, this answer is also a valid explanation for the crises enveloping the West today, including the widespread falling away from the faith, the disintegration of the family, a loss of communal purpose, erotomania, erasing the boundaries between male and female, and a general spirit of demonic destruction that denies the sacredness of human life. And then he says this, Because men have forgotten God, they have also forgotten man. That's why all this has happened. Now the question we are focusing on in this sermon series is what is man? What does it mean to be human? That is a question that our current cultural confusion has made it increasingly important for us to know how to answer. And we cannot answer that question without also turning our attention to God himself. He is the one who made us. And he made us in his image. So we cannot know who we are without knowing something about him. The complete redefinition of who we are that is happening all around us is only possible if we forget or deny that God made us. Ten years ago, the pressing question uh, questions that were upon us revolved around marriage and the meaning of marriage. Today, those questions, as challenging as they were at the time, seem simple by comparison to the ones we're wrestling with today. Questions that revolve around the very meaning and significance of what it means to be male and female. Those questions we cannot faithfully answer without turning to God. So let's remind ourselves of what God says about how he made us and who he made us to be. I'm going to read from Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, and then I'm going to jump over to Genesis 2, verse 18, and read the rest of that chapter. So Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26, says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now moving to chapter 2, verse 18. This is after uh, God has formed the first man of the dust and breathed life into him and placed him uh, in the Garden of Eden. Then verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now I believe it is significant that the first time that God speaks of men and women, of creating humanity, right, and creating us male and female, the first thing he emphasizes is what we have in common, what unites us. Not what's different about us, but what we share together. In other words, the first thing God says is that both men and women, both males and females, are creatures. We are both made. God made us. Let us make man in our image, God said. And then he said, male and female. He made them. So when we come back to that creator-creature divide that we talked about, there's one creator and everything else is created. Men and women, we're on the same side of that divide. We're both creatures. We're both made by God. We're both created by God. And not only that, but we were created equal. It does not say that God created man in the image of God and then made women. He made humanity. He made man in his own image, after his own likeness. He made them in the image of God, it says, male and female. That means that both men and women share a fundamental equality. We are both made in the image of God. And because we're made in the image of God, we have an inherent dignity and worth. A value that is not dependent upon what we're able to do, right, or who we are, or what we look like. But a value, a dignity, a worth that is based solely upon the fact that we have been made in the image of God. As we talked about before, that means that all people, people in the womb, right? people who, uh, whose bodies are beginning to fail them, and everyone in between. We are all 
worthy of dignity and respect because we have been made by God in the image of God. Now, when it comes to men and women, right, uh, and male and female, we have tended to go wrong in two different ways. Right? On the one hand, uh, men, just to take as an example, take men, men can degrade women or they can deify women. Right? They can treat them like goddesses or they can treat them as less than human. Both of those are distortions that are sinful and dishonoring to God. We need to avoid both of those errors, right? and for women, right, vice versa, and recognize that men and women are not gods. Right? Men and women are not one of them's great and one of them's terrible. Men and women are creatures, but creatures made in the image of God. That means, first and foremost, we are equal before God. That has to be our starting place. Just like we said before about people who have you know, different cultures, different skin colors, different languages, different ways of dressing, different, different appearance, different whatever, that our starting place for thinking about every other person in the world needs to be that person was made in the image of God. That person was made by God after the likeness of God, and therefore I need to treat that person with the appropriate dignity and respect that a creature made by God in the image of God deserves. And in the same way, all of our thinking about men and women needs to start in the same place. Recognizing that all of us, men and women, male and female, were made in the image of God, and therefore we ought to respect one another, honor one another, treat one another as equals. And that comes down not only to our actions, but also to the way that we speak about one another. Right now, men and women are different, and some of those differences are funny. Right? I mean, comedians live off of this stuff. Right? That men and women are different, and some of those differences are funny. And we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. Right? That's healthy. But we also need to make sure we don't cross that line where humor turns into mockery. Because there's a way to laugh about men that mocks and degrades men. And there's a way to laugh about women that mocks and degrades women. And both of those are unworthy of a Christian. Right? Remember James says this in James 3, uh, verse 9 and 10. He's talking about the tongue, our our mouths, and the, the dangerous power that exists right in our our words and he says about the tongue with it we bless our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of god from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers these things ought not to be so that means even the way that we speak should reflect the reality that all people men and women are made in the image of God. And in the church, we can go even further because Paul tells the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, in Galatians 3.28, that when it comes to our salvation, men and women are also equal. We have equal standing before God. 
In Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that does not mean that once you become a Christian, you stop being male or female any more than you would stop being a Jew or a Gentile or anything else. What it does mean is that those differences that tend to divide us are of no significance for our standing before God. Right? So the Jews, obviously, they're God's chosen people. Right? The Gentiles, they were the outsiders. But Christ came to save Jews and Gentiles. So when a Gentile comes to faith in Christ, a Jew who has also come to faith in Christ should not say, well, I'm glad you came to faith in Christ, but it's sad for you that you're not a Jew. I'm at the top of the rank in the kingdom of God and in the church, and you, you sit in the back, right? And you don't say anything, and you know, we'll take care of all this, and you just be glad that you're here at all. But you're, you're not equal with me. Paul's saying, that's not how this works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Jews and Gentiles share the same salvation in Christ. They share share the same position in the kingdom of God. There is no distinction, in that sense, between us in terms of our salvation. And that's true for men and women, too. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And that's good news. That means whatever your status or situation in this world, if you turn to Christ and trust in Him, you receive His full salvation, full forgiveness, full acceptance into the family of God, full citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to purchase that for us. That's why He died on the cross. That's why He rose And you receive all of it by grace, as a gift, if you turn to Him. You don't have to earn any of it, and it's not dependent upon who you are, where you're from, what you look like, anything like that. It's given equally to all. So our starting place is that we are equal. We're creatures made in the image and likeness of God. But the distinctions and differences between men and women are real. And we can't overlook those either. And the Bible doesn't overlook those. We know that we are different from the very beginning because God said... Uh, when he said, you know, let us make man after our image, then it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Well, if they have different names, they must be different, right? If they were the same, we wouldn't have to call one of them male and one of them female. The difference is implied by the name. We're given different names. Adam later will name his wife, right? She's woman. Because she was taken out of man. He recognizes the difference. And that difference that God has given us, and this also kind of comes to us through the words male and female, that difference is expressed by our bodies. Right? We talked before about how uh, some deny the goodness of the body. They think it's, it's evil, it's a, it's a prison, it's a trap. It doesn't reflect who we really are. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that God made us body and soul, and that's how he intended us to be, and all of that is 
good, as we'll see again in a moment. So we are different, that difference is expressed by our bodies, and yet even our differences are meant to be a part of what unites us, what brings us together. So when God brings the first woman to the first man, what does he say? He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, this one is like me. He's just had the parade of animals come by, right? And he said, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. None of these are like me. None of these are fit helpers for me. But then God brings to him the woman and he says, there we go, right? This is like me. This is flesh of my flesh. This is bone of my bone. And yet she's different than me, so she's going to be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam recognizes the fundamental similarity that he had, that he found nowhere else among God's creatures, the fundamental similarity he had with the woman, and yet also knew she was different and gave her a name that reflected that difference. And then after that, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Different, yes, but united, but one. There's union and oneness between the man and the woman experienced in marriage. Now, obviously, not all men and not all women end up married to someone that they share that union with. That's not the point. But marriage shows that there is a fundamental compatibility rather than a fundamental opposition between men and women. We belong together, right? Marriage is sort of the you know, the apex of that, but also in the church and in families, right? Men and women are designed to live together in fellowship, companionship, equality, respect, and on and on and on. The Bible also tells us that we are, though we're different, we are dependent upon one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, and this is in the middle of a very difficult passage, but this part is really easy to understand. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11 and 12, he says, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. In other words, if it wasn't for men, we wouldn't have any women. If it wasn't for women, we wouldn't have any men. And if it wasn't for God, none of us would be here. Right? So we're all dependent upon each other, and we're all ultimately dependent upon God. We share that in common. So yes, there are differences, but differences that are not meant to divide us, but are actually a part of what unites us. And not only that, but God gave us, men and women, a shared calling, a shared commission, a shared vocation, if you will. In Genesis 1.28, after he's made the man and the woman, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now that part, obviously, they have to do together. They can't do that apart. It requires a man and a woman to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then it says, not only to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but also to subdue it and to have dominion over the fish of the sea and, and on and on and on. We know that being fruitful requires male and female 
But what about having dominion? What about subduing the earth? That's something that we normally think of, I, I suspect, mainly in masculine terms, right? Mainly in male terms. That's the man's job. He hunts and fishes and, you know, raises cattle and whatever. Like, that's, that's masculine work, dominion work. But if we think of having dominion exclusively in male terms or masculine terms, we're going to distort it. Because having dominion is a job given both to men and women. And we're to exercise that dominion in a way that reflects the character of God, that reflects God's dominion. Right? God gave us dominion. He has dominion. He rules over everything. But he's made us in his image and given us dominion over his creation. Meaning, he wants us to rule his creation the way he rules it. So how does God exercise dominion? Well, in both ways that we think of sometimes as male and ways that sometimes we think of as female that are not really one or the other. For example, does God uh, rule with the power of life and death over his creatures? Yeah, absolutely. He creates, right? And he takes away life. So you think of that in terms of like, well, you know, again, raising livestock, going hunting, those kinds of things. But also the Bible tells us that God exercises dominion uh, in more uh, nurturing and caring ways. For example, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 that we shouldn't be anxious about our life and about what we wear and things like that. Why? Because God clothes the grass of the field. Right? Because not one sparrow is going to fall to the ground apart from the will of the Father. God numbers the hairs of our head. So he exercises nurture and care over his creation as well. And when I, when I think about that kind of dominion, the image, I don't know, you're, you may be going to laugh at this, the image that comes to mind is Cinderella, right? She's got all the birds kind of fluttering around her, and they're doing, you know, the mice are doing her bidding and stuff, you know, like, what is she doing? She's exercising dominion with care and, and nurture, right, as she rules over these creatures, Right, so it's, it's, it's a male and a female task that God has given, not only to be fruitful, but also to have dominion over the creation that he's entrusted to us. And all of this, being created, being made in the image of God, being male, being female, being fruitful, having dominion, all of this, God says, is very good. Not just kind of good, not just so-so good. This is very good. The way Genesis 1 ends is with God seeing that what he had made was very good. As one author put it, sexual difference, so being male and female, is not an extraneous or faulty feature of the cosmos, but an essential part of its goodness. We see that reflected at the end of Genesis 2 as well, when it says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was male and female together, united, before there was any sin, before there was any shame. This is the way God created it to be, created us to be.
Now, yes, there are problems now that have come as a result of sin, as a result of the fall. And I've been telling you we're going to get to those, and Lord willing, we will next week, because that's an important part of understanding why life in this world is the way that it is. But before we get to that, we need to recognize that we reject the goodness, equality, and difference of the creation that God made at our peril and to our detriment. If we reject the goodness of creation, if we reject the equality between men and women in creation, if we reject the difference between men and women in creation, if we reject any of those things, we do so at our peril and to our own harm. We must remember and believe that this is the way God made us and that this way is good. Now we should not be surprised when those who have forgotten God also fail to understand the goodness of creation as God designed it. That shouldn't surprise us. But we should also not forget where the real problem lies. The real problem is not in their distortion of what God has created. The real problem, the root problem, is in their separation from the Creator. So where are we going to pour our energy? What's going to bother us the most? Are we going to be interested mainly in winning the war over who is right and who is wrong in all of this? Or are we going to devote our energy, our concern, our prayers into offering the remedy to the wound at the root of it all? Reconciliation with God through the only perfect man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.